G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. A specialist came to me and he was in his scrubs with his face mask on and what have you, and all I could see was his eyes. But he said, Anne, I don't know what you've been told, but your husband has multi-organ failure and they weren't sure that they could save his life, but they were going to do their best. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. A touching one for you today about the fragility of life with Anne Smith in New Zealand. Her comfortable life was suddenly turned upside down when her husband began to experience flu-like symptoms. Then his health gradually became worse, to the point of needing to go to an emergency room. Anne is chatting with Shelley Scowen. It started out just as any kind of relatively normal sickness, didn't it? And it just got worse and worse from there. That's right, yeah, it did. It started off with just the tickly cough, actually, and we didn't even realise he was really sick. Um, But then the temperature developed and uh, he just kept on getting sick. We've been married for 23 years at that stage and I'd never seen him quite that sick before. It wasn't just man flu. No, <laughs> no. We did get the picture that it probably was flu. Oh, um, really? yeah. And so we, we went off to the doctor to see what could be done and the doctor did say to us, yes, this is influenza A, very bad strain of um, flu. You will be very, very sick, um, but you're young, strong and healthy. So you'll get over this and... Um, and I, you know, I was quite worried about him because I had not seen him this sick before. And I said, you know, he, he really is very sick. And uh, he said, yes, but don't worry, Anne. People don't die of this flu unless they have pre-existing conditions. Mm. There's maybe only one or two people a year would die of this flu without, um, you know, having a pre-existing condition. So mm. Daryl's going to be okay. Don't worry about it. You mm. know, he'll be okay. And this was the one year that he didn't go and have a flu vaccination? Yes, it was. It was actually the first year I'd ever had one. Yeah. And it's the first year for many, many years that he hadn't had one. He just hadn't quite got around to it yet. I bet he wished he did. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I was very thankful I had had one because later on down the track when we were in hospitals and, and in ICU and that, it ended up being... A real blessing that I had one because True. I was able to have access to him and there was a level of protection there that they knew that I was yeah, going to be right. okay. Wow, mm. that's a blessing in itself there, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So he was back and forth to the doctors a little bit because you knew that it was a pretty bad sickness mm. um, and he did start to improve just a little bit and went back to work for a little bit. Yeah, so he, we sort of struggled through a week of um, high temperatures and vomiting and the vomiting was the worst because he got very dehydrated and he um, he and it was very severe vomiting like every half hour for you know 24 48 hours so at the end of that he got a very sore throat and um, we just thought it was from all the vomiting all the really um, but what we found out later was that that was actually the strep infection that was eventually going to go to his lungs and cause the pneumonia, which became life-threatening. 
So he struggled along for a week and we were back and forth to the doctors. At one point we actually called the ambulance um, because he was um, too weak to get out of bed to go to the doctors. But at that stage um, there was a flu epidemic on and the hospital was full basically and they said we're not going to take you to hospital because you're young strong and fit you'll be okay yeah so um so we just sort of struggled along and then he got to the stage where when the vomiting stopped um he was he plateaued out and he really wasn't getting any worse and so he decided he really had to go back to work because he owns his own business he does and one of his workers had um handed their notice in just prior to this and so he was trying to sort through CVs, and um, this guy, had, in the course of him being sick, had, had worked out his notice, and he was there's only three of them in the business, so he was going to be short of a worker. So he went off to work um, feeling really awful, um, and when he got there, he was propping himself up against the counter, and his doctor actually walked past walking his dog, and he... The first of the miracles. Yes, and he called in and uh, and said to me, you don't look good. And Daryl said, no, I've made an appointment to come and see you this afternoon because I've got this pain in my side, but I just had to come back to work and all this, but I actually am feeling pretty bad. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't like the look of you. I want you to go into hospital and get some x-rays before you come and see me this afternoon. Mm. What are the chances of the doctor just popping in just to see how Yes, exactly. (laughs) I was just walking past. Thought I'd come and say hello. Yeah. So the upshot of that was that by the time he got to the hospital, had the x-rays and drove home, he was hardly able to walk. Really? Um, He sort of crawled inside and rang me at work and said, come and get me. I can't get myself back to the doctors. Um, And so by the time we got back to the doctors, uh, the doctor had the results through, knew it was pneumonia and had cleared the path into the emergency department. Mm. So when we got there, it was... Like, go straight to the hospital now, take a man, straight to the hospital, don't go home and get any clothes, he's really, really ill. And um, and Daryl at that stage had started to go downhill pretty fast and mm-hmm. he was um, moaning from the pain in his side and was struggling to breathe and all that. So we went straight to the hospital and got the fast track there, which was great, and found ourselves in this ward um, which I had never been there before. I didn't recognise it. I said, where are we? And they said, oh, this is intensive care. You're in ICU. And I was really shocked. Yeah. I knew he was sick, but I didn't know he was that sick. Yeah. So they had uh, given him morphine for the pain, and he actually doesn't remember anything from this time forward, um, but he was still conscious. Yeah. Uh, but he was struggling to breathe and he was in incredible pain, which was the pneumonia taking over. Yeah. They took, and that took on very quickly, didn't it? It you, did. You got x-rays from like 11 o'clock a.m. and then 6 p.m. and yeah. you can see the difference is just Yeah, the lung alarming. was basically taken over during that time. Yeah. And that lung collapsed and, um, yeah, so he still had one good lung. But part of the problem was... that developed was that he was very dehydrated from all the earlier vomiting and what have you. Oh, true, yeah. And so they pumped a lot of fluid into him, Um, litres and litres of it. Actually, as soon as we got into ICU, they had three litres just like that. And um, that ended up going to his good lung. 
And so over the course of the next few days, not only did he keep deteriorating, his other lung collapsed as well. And so that meant that he had to have an emergency intubation and they had to put him in an induced coma and put him on life support. So The blessing for you in all of that, though, was that you weren't actually there when that... Event happened. Yes, yes. So by this stage, everyone had started to hear that he was in hospital. So I'd Mm. gone home. Um, The previous night, I'd well, actually, when we got into ICU, I had um, I'd gone home to pick up the kids and to do some things as you do. We were a busy family of three and uh, three children, and um, I had to pay the wages that night for his business. And so I'd gone home and done all that. I'd gone back to the hospital. That's like the last thing on your mind. Yeah. When your husband's in ICU. But (laughs) But it wouldn't have been the employee's last thing on their mind. So, um, yeah, so I I went back to the hospital about 10 and sat with him until about midnight. And because he had morphine on board, he was pretty calm and and he had um, a breathing, he had oxygen on and things. And I thought, oh, no, this is good. When you go to hospital, you get fixed, is what I thought. Yeah. Things just, you know, he's in ICU. They're going to make him better now. It was actually a huge relief for me that he was in there having struggled on for two weeks prior to that, not getting the help he needed. So um, I went up to the receptionist, and in the meantime, they had... He'd started off in a room in ICU, and when I'd gone back at 10 o'clock that night, they'd shifted him up to the nurse's station, up to where the reception was. And I didn't really understand that why that was. I thought, why have they got him out here in the corridor... What I understood later was that he was so seriously ill they didn't want to take their eyes off him. And so um, I, I said to, to the nurse's station, I said, oh, you know, it's midnight now. I'm, he seems to be quite stable. I, I, is it okay for me to go home? And they said, my first hint that things were really bad was that they said, oh, no, he's not stable. Your husband's very, very ill. He's what we call septic, which I didn't really know what that meant. But... Um, He's extremely ill and he is not stable. But yes, go home and get some sleep. So, um, yes, and then it progressed into the other lung collapsing and then the emergency Mm. intubation, which was a very scary thing. His mother and his sister were there at the time when he stopped breathing. Mm. And, um, yeah, that was something that I'm quite glad I didn't witness. Yeah. Mm. Well, one blessing that God protected you from. Yeah. And then you came in the next day and heard what had gone on. Yes. And so he was obviously still in a very, very bad way. And it was it at that day that they decided to send him up to Wellington? Yes, it was. They didn't, what they hadn't picked up initially was that the um, pneumonia, sorry, pneumonia had leaked out of the lung and into the chest cavity. Oh. So that's what the septicemia thing was about. It was poisoning the rest of his body and... Um, They'd checked that when he was first admitted and had told me with great relief that that hadn't happened, so he was okay, but they hadn't checked it again. And in the meantime, Mm -hmm. that had grown so fast um, to become life-threatening. So then when they finally found out that that's what had happened, um, it was getting to the almost too late stage, you know. Mm. So they decided to send him to Wellington, which is a bigger centre and has a... um, more specialists and things on board Um, and I didn't like that idea at all I was going to be flying up to a big city where I didn't know anyone and he was in this very vulnerable position I didn't feel he was strong enough to fly Um, but anyway as it turned out they um, they did fly him up there with the air ambulance
You're listening to The Story. Today, Anne Smith is chatting with Shelley Scowen in New Zealand about her husband Daryl's life-threatening illness. We'll hear what happened when they arrived at the hospital when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. We're continuing with Shelley Scowen chatting with Anne Smith in New Zealand about her husband Daryl's life-threatening illness. Before the break, we heard how it all began with flu-like symptoms and then gradually got worse. Now, Anne tells us what happened once they made it to the hospital. We arrived and the, it was very bad weather. I'm not very good at flying. And I was really... <laughs> flying into Wellington is bad at the best of times. It is. It's it is. so windy and it's a horrible, horrible landing. You feel like you're going to land on the water. You do. And then, you do. It's, and it's quite horrible. scary at the best of times. Yeah. And um, they were going to take him in the rescue helicopter, but the weather was too bad for that. Yeah. So, and then they got the air ambulance and I just didn't like the idea of flying into Wellington with this critically ill person yeah. uh, in a very rough flight. Um, but anyway, it was amazing. We flew in and there was this beautiful sunset and they told me that he was completely unaffected by the flight. And we got off and I felt quite calm and very thankful that we'd got there. Mm. But it wasn't until we got to the hospital um, that everything sort of seemed to turn to custard and um, it's something like you see in a movie where people are running down corridors with you know beds trolley beds and um, and that's how it was for him the the crew from the hospital or the crew that flew us over were running him down the corridor and the people from the hospital were running out to meet him and there was all this conversation going backwards and forwards as they swapped notes and got updates and stats and all that sort of stuff as they were rushing him into the room and um and I was running along behind with my little trolley bag trying to keep up (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then when we got into the room um a specialist came to me and he was in his scrubs with his face mask on and what have you and all I could see was his eyes but he said um Quite, quite hurriedly, because things were, you know, panic stations. And he said, oh, "Anne, I don't know what you've been told, but um, your husband has multi-organ failure, and you need to leave us now to go and find him." You know, um, so I get quite emotional when I talk about this because mm. it's it's something that you never ever want to hear. No. But he basically said that they weren't sure that they could save his life, but they were going to do their best. And I needed to go and find my motel and leave them to it. So that How was, could you just go and find your motel yeah. and just being given you like that? Like that's Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of like just Man. let us do our jobs now. Stay out of the way while we try and save them. Wow. And that so that was a, hard to just it stay was out a of the way. huge shock because yeah. all the way along I just had this belief that hospitals fix people and I couldn't believe that he wasn't mm. getting better. Mm. Uh, I guess your mind doesn't let you go there. Mm. Um, it doesn't let you think for a minute that he might be dying. Um, mm. And I was probably in a bit of denial. I knew he was very, very sick, 
but I probably didn't um, let myself think that he was actually dying. And this is where things probably hit rock bottom for you at this point when it, yeah. he was, you know, in terms of his health was probably at rock bottom as well. Yeah. You were told, get out of the way. You're in Wellington. You're away from all your family and friends. There's nobody that you know except one person who had offered to help. Um, and he said, I'll do anything for you, but I'm not available between, what, 7 and 9 o'clock. Yeah. And yeah. right now it was about 7.30. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> and you were at rock bottom. What do you do? Yeah, yeah. So I was. And I think um, half of the um, my fear was telling the people back home, telling his mother and his sister yeah. and my children that dad might not make it through the night. Mm. Um, I couldn't actually do it. I wasn't sure how I was going to verbalise that. Uh, over the phone to them back home. Yeah. And, um, yes, this friend of, of Daryl's, a childhood friend who ha- they had grown up together, um, and then he'd gone on to be a pastor in Wellington. And uh, he had phoned when we were driving to the airport to get on the air ambulance and said, um, look, we're here for you. Anything you want, you need a car, you need meals, you need accommodation, you know, we're here for you. But... I'm teaching between 7 and 9 tonight at Bible studies, so I won't be available then, but ring me any other time. And as you've said, it was 7.30. So um, I didn't I didn't want to ring him, but I just knew I had to. I was actually, had gone into a bit of shock myself. Um, I was spending all my time in the toilet, <laughs> going one end or the other. Um, yeah. Just because your body, yeah, physically was shutting down. It was. I was yeah. just completely gone into shock. And what actually triggered that shock was he had used that word multi-organ failure. So we had, uh, when Daryl was still at home but sick, you know, a week and a half before, um, a woman had died of the flu, and. Um, she had died from multi-organ failure. And it was in, it had hit the news headlines, oh. and it had hit the headlines because she was young and fit and healthy, oh, no. just like Daryl. And um, and the doctor had said to me, you know, earlier I explained that the doctor had said that how do anyone dies from this without a pre-existing condition? But only maybe one to two people a year do. And so when I read that headline, it affected me quite deeply, and I thought, this lady's died, that's... We're safe. I know it sounds awful, but I thought, you know, the one person that dies a year... Uh, and it's already happened. It's so happened. Be all right. So we're going to be okay. Mm. Um, but multi-organ failure, to me, meant dying. That meant... So mm. that's what penetrated my mind at that moment when the doctor had said to me, here's multi-organ failure. It was like, oh, no, he's going to die. Mm. And because uh, that's what happened to the other lady. So it's funny how much just one word means. That multi-organ failure was a word that just struck fear into my heart. Mm. Stable was another word that um, that meant so much, just one word. that, And we were looking for stable. We want Every morning we hoped to hear the word stable, mm. but we hadn't had it yet. And so, uh, you know, just single words can mean so much. So that word had just spiralled me into absolute panic. And I was walking around in my motel. I found it claustrophobic inside, so I went outside. And then I was cold outside and windy. And so it was horrible and I couldn't bear it outside. So I came back inside. And then I just realised I just needed someone. 
I had to have someone with me at that mm-hmm. stage. And I tried to be big and brave until then. People had offered to fly over with me, and I'd say, no, no, we'll be right. I'll be fine, you know. But I wasn't fine. Clearly, I was very not fine. <laughs> yeah. So we, um, So I phoned Nick, the pastor in Wellington, and he was in the middle of teaching, but he must have somehow, I left a message on his phone, and he must have seen it during his teaching, and he Naughty cleared it. checking his phone. <laughs> yes. He was probably half expecting it. I'm not quite yeah, well, sure. True. Yeah. But anyway, he, um, he stopped the teaching session and told his congregation that he, um, his childhood friend was in critical condition in hospital, and that instead of doing the Bible study, they would pray. That's what was going to happen now. And he was going to go and the church was going to stay and pray, Mm. which was amazing because they didn't even know him or anything, but they did, they prayed. And he came to me and it just made all the world of difference. Mm. He actually wasn't very good at being in hospitals. He had been known to faint in hospitals. He wasn't very good. No. And so he, it was a big thing for him. He, uh, He was actually petrified of going in the room because he knew that he might faint. (laughs) But he came in the room with me, and it wasn't a pretty sight when, uh, you know, Daryl was hooked up to lots of, you know, ventilator, all sorts of life support, and he didn't look good, and it it wasn't nice. Oh, and that's ugly for you too, to see your husband in that kind of condition. They also kept the room very, very hot. It was part of the, I don't know what it was to do with the treatment, but... Um, the room was very hot, and it was in an antechamber, so you had to go through two rooms to get there, so it was negative air pressure, right. so that you didn't take anything, uh, any bugs in from outside, right. I suppose. Yeah, true. And you had to gown up. So not only was it hot, you were gowned up, you were wearing a face mask. So it's it's a very good recipe for fainting. <laughs> but he was great. He didn't faint. And he prayed for Daryl, and he prayed for me, and um, and he was just present. Mm. And it was from then that I actually thought, I can do this now. I mm. can do this. And um, so at 11 o'clock, he stayed with me um, for the meeting with the doctors. So we had uh, the first of many meetings with the yeah. doctors. And they said that there had been just a glimmer of hope, the, the noradrenaline, that he was on very high levels of that to keep his heart beating. And um, they had turned it down just one notch. And that was the first bit of good news we'd actually had since he'd been admitted to hospital. Mm. It was just a glimmer of hope, and hope is what you need. Yes, it's what you cling to. <laughs> it is. And so uh, after that, I was like, I can, I can do this. And I really felt quite a calm and continued to feel that calm right throughout the rest of the time. That was part one of Shelley Scowan's conversation with Anne Smith in New Zealand. And as we just heard, there's a glimmer of hope at this point in the story. We thank the Lord that it doesn't end there. We invite you to join us again next time for the conclusion of their story. In the meantime, a Bible verse to meditate on in situations like this is Psalm chapter 46, verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Until next time, when we hear part two of Anne and Daryl's story, I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. It was interesting, the first day that Daryl went back to work after his illness, um, his workers didn't recognise him. He had changed such a lot, he'd lost so much weight. He had shaven off his bed, they had shaven it at the hospital, he had a, a goatee bed and they'd shaven that off. 
uh, which did make him look a little bit different. But he had changed such a lot, lost so much weight, he'd lost 12 kilos, and he was almost unrecognisable. <laughs> Once again, Shelley Scowan is in New Zealand chatting with Anne Smith about her husband Daryl's severe illness. It began with flu-like symptoms and then developed into multi-organ failure. We'll hear how people around them and their church help them get through the crisis. That and more next time. The story. story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.